Get social. Facebook.com slash WEEI and WEEI Sports on Instagram. Now more of OMF on EEI. Bruins go down in six out on the island last night. We're here for the funeral with you. As we move to the offseason for the Boston Bruins and the Islanders move on to take take on the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, our buddy from NBC Sports, Pierre McGuire, joins That's us right. live on the Harbor One Hotline. Hello, Pierre. Glenn, Lou, Christian, nice to visit with you, gentlemen. It's always great talking to you. See you. Even though the hockey season has come to an abrupt here in Boston. Tough one. Earlier than we thought there, yeah. Pierre. Uh, did you get the feeling early on, because we certainly did, that they were in trouble, and by that second period, it was an avalanche. I mean, it was it was bad. I thought they were in trouble after game two, if yeah. you really want to know the truth. Uh, going back to Long Island, I did the Pittsburgh uh, Islander series in the first round, and the Penguins had a real tough time dealing with the five-man matchup on their top line. So Crosby, Gensel, and Russ, the top line for Pittsburgh, really didn't get a lot done five-on-five against that uh, fivesome that starts with J.G. Paggio and Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri and Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock. Those five guys are basically there to shut down three guys, and they did the same thing to Marshan Bergeron. And Pasternak five-on-five, and the problem is you got nothing out of Taylor Hall, you didn't get anything out of Craig Smith, and you got very little out of David Krejci, so you got a big problem. You know, Pierre, it's funny you say that, the game two, because I think a lot of people, well, we were just talking about how it kind of changed in game three. Even though they won that game, that Clutterbuck hit on Carlo just seemed to, you know, take take the defensive core out. Losing a guy like Carlo just seemed to uh, too big of a price to pay. Well, I, what, why I had a feeling that things were going to go a little bit different after game two is I saw how the Islanders changed their game plan just a little bit after game one, and they got real aggressive, and they started going after the Bruins physically. And they started challenging their defensemen a lot more. And then, obviously, I, I didn't know that Clutterbuck would get a hard hit on Cardinal like that. But it was a clean hit. It was a hard hit. And it was a devastating hit to the Bruins. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Tuka Rass, you know, lightning rod of discussion up here in Boston, do you think, uh, do you think Cassidy made the right decision uh, by, uh, by playing him last night and why? Uh, you know, that's a good question, Christian. I don't know if enough about what went on in their meetings. I don't know what the trainers told Bruce. I don't know what Tuca told the trainers. I don't know what the doctors had to say about Tuca. Um, I thought there were games, you know, in the first round where he played fantastically well. If you think about it against Washington, he lost game one, but the rest of that series, he was really good. You go back to game one of, of the uh, Islander series. I thought he played well game two. I thought he was more than good. I know that Bruce thought that he had a tough, tough time tracking the puck in, in one of the games. And, again, I don't know what went on in their meetings, but the one thing I'd say is that's where you have to have a level of trust between the player, the trainers, and the doctors. Do you think he looked good? I mean, I just – I know he goes down and they're going over the shoulders, but there, there were moments I, I felt towards the end of, of game five when he did get pulled. He sat there and said, well, he just doesn't look like he's moving. He got caught out of the net a couple of times, didn't look comfortable. And I know there was a bunch of turnovers, Pierre, in this game, but I don't think he was healthy enough to give him the type of performance they needed to win the game. And, Lou, that's why I said there's got to be a level of trust when you're dealing with those situations. You know, sometimes it's an injury. Sometimes it's just pain. You have to know the difference between pain and injury. And if a guy's really injured and it's affecting his ability to play, then you got a problem. If a guy's got pain and he can deal with it, I'll give you an example. I, I coached the player, Shell Samuelson, 
who played in the Stanley Cup final um, and had to get shot up every single time before. But the way they did the shooting up, they put the needle through his two middle knuckles all the way to his wrist yeah. and shot him up that way. And I can tell you, it wasn't very fun to watch. And he'd bring me into the training room because he'd squeeze my arm rather than bite down on a piece of wood. And I'm telling you, it wasn't fun to go through. So that that's the difference. I mean, the, he could deal with that because the painkiller, but – if you got hip problems, if you got you know back problems, and they can't do anything for you, then I don't know if you're going to be 100 percent to play. Boy, you uh, you talked about the Islanders, and I think you really appreciate when you see them play six games here how good they are because they don't necessarily, and they've got skilled players. Don't get me wrong, but they're not highlighted by you know a great first line. They're just deep four lines through and. They just seem to come at you constantly. Like last night, they knew the guy they had to get to was McAvoy, and they were all over him right from the get-go, Pierre. No, that was pretty much from the start. I would agree with you, though. And Charlie, see, what people forget is Charlie in, in games uh, two and three played almost 30 minutes yep. in both those games. I made mention of that last night. That's a lot of playoff. That's a lot of minutes in playoff hockey, and especially when you're going in a series, which is going every other day. That, that's a lot, and that's this is into the second round. So they knew that they could get after Charlie, and he was a key component for them. You know, he's coming off going into game six. He's coming off a three-assist game in game five. You know, he had a fantastic game five, and they weren't able to really get to him. But in their rink, and I've seen them – I saw them do this to Christopher Letang with Pittsburgh. I saw them to do it to Brian Dumoulin with Pittsburgh. They're good at it. There's no question. But that's because they play a four-line game. Most fourth lines in the league, the guys play between 8 and 10 minutes. Their fourth line can play upwards of 14 or 15 minutes. That's a lot of extra time being body slamming on people, if you know what I mean, Glenn. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. a lot of extra time. Yeah, yeah so um, when, when, it, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, my favorite line, hauling goats. <laughs> <laughs> so, we give nicknames to everybody. You get all these nicknames here. You know, we felt like they needed one. Yeah, it was fun because, good, because uh you know, that line was just getting so much attention, and I felt like that was – I thought that that line could be the difference maker, but, but you know, you look at Hall, like, scoreless in the final three games. I mean, you pointed to, to one of those uh, – the, the line line is one of the issues. They're just not doing enough. You know, where do you think they go with Hall moving forward? Really good question because I think it's going to come down to what does his agency expect for him in a dollar value and what do they expect on term. I said it before the game last night when John Forslund threw it down to me. I said, if they don't get production from Hall and from Smith and from Krejci, they're not going to win this game. I don't care what anybody tells you because I know they're going to shut down Marsha and Pasternak uh, and Bergeron five on five. You know, but you can't always count on the power play. And obviously the Bruins got two great power play goals from Marshan, But five on five, there was just not enough thrust. So those guys didn't deliver. I don't know what Taylor's going to want dollar-wise. I don't know what he's going to want term-wise. But I can tell you that – um, that was underwhelming. That was really underwhelming. The one goal that he had in game one, that was into an empty net. I mean, when you really think about it, that was a very underwhelming performance. So when you also, when you look at, uh, we were just doing a lot of, uh, I guess, analyzing uh, Bruce Cassidy and what he says and how he says it. I, I, I don't know, Pierre. Like I, we're big fans of Bruce Cassidy, but I feel like he doesn't take much accountability. I feel like he's either pointing the finger at his other players or passive-aggressively kind of taking shots at guys. Instead of just saying, I need to coach better, I did a terrible job, I, I don't know what your feelings are on that, or maybe we're overanalyzing it. Well, the one thing I'd say is, as much as they thought that the referees were against Boston, and I think probably a lot of the fan base in Boston feels that way, 
I can tell you right now, I have a home in Boston. I've lived in Boston. I spent a lot of time in Boston. My kid went to prep school in Boston. I like Boston. Um, I, I, the referees had nothing to do with the outcome of the series, zero. And and when Bruce went down that road, I said he's either trying to deflect away from what's gone wrong in the series, or he's trying to deflect away from some injury situations and trying to do anything he can to elevate the team. Um, that's where I thought there was a fundamental flaw with the communication with the media. I really did. I didn't think that was appropriate after game five going into game six. And, you know, maybe they got a couple tripping calls that they maybe wouldn't have gotten, but those were trips. Those were penalties against the Islanders. They should have been called, and they, they deserve to be called. They missed one, by the way. Pellick should have been called for a knee-on-knee on, on Taylor Hall in the first period, but they missed that one for whatever reason. Um, but, no, I, I just – Bruce does his own way of dealing with the media. Every coach is different when it comes to dealing with the media. I guess that's what I'll, that's what I'll say about that. I think we kind of felt that you know there was so uh, woe is me on these penalties, especially in Game Five. That uh, I just always felt like that you know sometimes your team takes on the personality of your coach. So if your coach is bitching all the time, it's almost like there's this letdown, right? I mean, kill the penalty, yeah. kill the penalty, three well, for that, three on three that, for three. I'll give you a great example of what Lou just talked about, Glenn and Christian, in Game Five when the Boston Bruins made a huge thrust and they got back to make it a 5-4 game in game five, Barry Trotz called a timeout, and, and I could hear what he was saying. And, and basically he says, we got to stop sitting back and we got to start getting after him and basically stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. Let's get out there and go. And those guys responded. If you go look at the tape of the last two and a half to three minutes of that game, they were doing exactly what the coach wanted them to do. They weren't blaming anybody. They just said, we got to get back to attacking, and that's what they did. Hey, Pierre, uh, Brad Marchand I thought was was outstanding in this series. And, I mean, there isn't like a there isn't a puck in a, ba- a battle that he doesn't lose. I mean, it's amazing. I'm just curious, national level, where is he when it comes to – when you look around the league and you start looking at some of the elite players in this game? Oh, I, I think he's in the top 15 in the league. And, I mean, he might even be in the top 12. Yeah. His consistency level is just phenomenal, Lou, number one. And number two – no, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for his defensive awareness and his shorthanded play. He's one of the best shorthanded players in the league. And the chemistry he has, obviously, with Bergeron defensively is off the charts, not just offensively, defensively. I think he's one of the most well-rounded players in the league. I really mean that sincerely. And I'm a big fan. I know a lot of people on the national side don't like it because of all some, or not all, but some of the shenanigans that go on. Yeah with this game, but I would tell you right now, if I was fortunate enough to have a team and was running one, I'd want that guy on my team. I'm telling you that right now. Where do you think the Bruins uh, go from here? We're accustomed to the Bruins being a real physical team, but they haven't been the last few years. Right. St. Louis outmuscled them a couple of years ago in the finals, and they got outmuscled here. Uh, do they need to be more physical, or is it a matter of they've got to get deeper? You can't just have one line out there. I think they need to get, yeah, no, that's a fair point, Glenn. I think they need to get deeper up front. I think they also need to get much deeper in defense. I was doing the tail of the tape. You know, you don't have Brandon Carlo. You don't have Kevin Miller. You don't have John Moore. Zidane Charles in Washington. Tory Krugs in St. Louis. Just think about that. Those are all NHL defensemen. And outside of maybe Johnny Moore, who's a 5'6", and Kevin could be a 4, but he's a 5'6", all those other guys are top four guys. That, that's that's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, that's the, so they need to get deeper, I think, on defense, and I'm sure Donnie knows that. And uh, they probably need to really look at what they're going to do with their second center, whether David comes back or not. If David gives them the right 
you know, number, then I think maybe he comes back. If if he doesn't, then, you know, they're going to have to ad- uh, address that at some point at the second center position. You know, not to get all sentimental, uh, but mm-hmm. when you look at just the, the last 10, 11 years, do you think that this squad, this core, and it seems like they're all kind of leaving year by year. We'll see what happens with, with yeah. Krejci. Um, but do you think that they should have won more? 2013 was heartbreaking. Uh, I'll never forget that, you know, when uh, the Chicago Blackhawks in game six scored bang, bang. That was amazing to me. Um, so to go to two final uh, in the, in three years is pretty amazing. To win in, in 11 like they did on, on the road in game seven in Vancouver was huge. The final with St. Louis was an interesting one because a lot of people thought they would never win game six in St. Louis. And they won that handily. And then everybody said, okay, they're going to be anointed Stanley Cup champions. Um, and after Game 7 because they're going to dominate St. Louis in Game 7. The problem was Jordan Dennington didn't hear that headline. Mm. And the first 10 minutes, of, if you go watch the tape of Game 7, the first 10 minutes, that should have been 5 nothing Boston. I'm telling you, Jordan Dennington stole a Stanley Cup from the Boston <laughs> Brooms. He really did mm. um, two years ago. So, no, I think the team has done magnificently well over the last decade. And uh, a lot of people deserve a lot of credit. The amateur scouts, the pro scouts, uh, Cam and his intensity, Donnie and some of his long-term and short-term planning, the coaching staffs that were there over time, and the, and the core that you guys were just talking about. I, I think the core players, whether it's Patrice or whether it's Brad or, you know, whether it's uh, uh, obviously Krug was there for a long time, Charles was there for a long time. I mean, they, they had they had an amazing run. They really did. No, they've had a great run. It, it's unfortunate because you look at it, you look at Chicago, and they had two great players, obviously, a terrific defenseman, pretty good goaltending, and they won three in, what, six years. And you can look at Pittsburgh yeah. winning three during that little run. And we're sitting here going, okay, it's been 10 years, and Bergeron is now 35 years of age, yeah. 33 for, for Marchand. And you're sitting here going, where, where do they go from here? And they've got one cup to show for. Three finals, yeah. but one cup, you know? No, it's fair. It's fair, yeah. but I, it's, hard to, it's hard to win. It's hard to win. The yeah. There's no question. I've been fortunate enough to win it twice, and I can tell you, yeah. uh, you win it once, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But you're so much better the second time around because you actually know what you have to do to win. Um, so until you've actually been through it, it, it's really hard to fathom how hard it is to win. Well, you know, Pierre, s- somebody uh, just rubbing salt in the wound on Twitter last night actually threw up that 2015 draft when the Bruins had three consecutives with Saboro, DeBrusque, yeah. and Sinitian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Barzal was oh, next. Yeah. And then Kyle Connor was right after him. Oh. And it was like... Oh, I know. Well, you, you see, what you, look, what you look at is you look at Barzell, you look at Kyle Connor, you look at Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, I mean, you look at Anthony Beauvillier, who was drafted Those by the three guys right after you night. in three. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I can tell you all the names. I remember clear as day, and I, I do the draw. I was doing the draft all the time, um, and and I can tell you that was that was uh, an interesting. Sinition was an interesting pick, and Zaboro was an interesting pick. And the reason why I say that is Shabbat and Zaboro were partners with St. John in the Quebec Major Junior League. So the Boston Bruins scouts saw both guys, and they thought Zaboro would be better than Shabbat. Um, and and Sinition was a little off the charts from Sault Ste. Marie, and not as many people Barzell, as they the Bruins scouts. Connor. That would have been nice if they took those three guys. <laughs> They'd be in a different spot right now, I'd say. Well, they would have switched sides last night, last night's game. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Tampa Bay now taking on the Islanders. Yeah. Tampa Bay with all the skilled players and the t- tremendous offense. Uh, the Islanders good enough to do the same thing to them? 
Yeah, they are. The, the thing that's going to be fun to watch in this one is the depth players for both teams are really good and they're really physical. And the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the untold story about them is Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, Pat Maroon, these guys, Ross Colton, these guys are nasty pieces of business. Those are their depth players, and they're going to come after the Islanders. But the Islanders can handle that. I think the one thing that will be interesting in this series how disciplined can the Islanders be? Because if they put Tampa on the power play, they're not going to win the series. The whole I think it's going to come down to how disciplined uh, will, will the Islanders be against Tampa. Because if they're not, they're not going to win the series. Pierre, we always appreciate you coming Thanks, on. Buddy. Best of luck to the uh, the rest of this run. And I hope that TNT and ESPN is watching so that uh, you're oh, inside yeah. the glass next year. You're the best in the business inside the glass. And hopefully you'll be with one of those networks doing NHL hockey next year. You guys were awesome to have me on. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed being with you, and I look forward to getting to Boston at some point this summer when the playoffs are over. <laughs> well, you got a house out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. All right. All right, Pierre. All right, Pierre. Good luck the rest See of the way. Boys. See you later. Thanks a lot. Pierre Bye. McGuire, NBC Sports, right here on uh, OMF. Uh, this hour brought to you by Window World of Boston. Call 1-800-NEXT-WINNER online at windowworldofboston.com.